Hi, I'm David Pogue. Welcome to the RV Navigator Podcast, your digital home for the RVing lifestyle. Visit the RV Navigator homepage at rvnavigator.com for additional information about each episode. And now, here are your hosts, Ken and Martha, podcasting from their mobile studio that might be parked in a campground near you. Hello, this is Ken, your RV Navigator, broadcasting to you live from Costa Rica, Monteverde, overlooking the Pacific Ocean. A long distance from any one of our at-home studios, which is probably leading to a slightly different echoey sound, for which we apologize. Yes, but, but we are... Lucky that I'm talking to you at all because I'd much rather <laughs> be doing are. fun stuff in Costa Rica. Yes, but here it is. Duty um, calls. Yes, and we are about uh, to go ziplining. Whoa! It's something we've never done before. before. We go ziplining in case we don't make it. <laughs> Eleven zips, and moments ago, as we were doing the test for the RV Navigator podcast, we see a. Codamundi. Codamundi. Now you're saying to yourself, what is a Codamundi? They're a little bit like raccoons, but they have very tall, high tails, which they like to wave around like flags. They're um, fun creatures to watch and easy to be with as long as they're not trying to come into your room. And they usually travel in packs, although this one was a soul. It was two. Oh, there were two. There well, were two. I only saw one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we have the door to our patio open, and we thought maybe we would be visited by a Kutamunde, which would be very appropriate for the RV Navigator podcast. A little bit of wildlife, which your RV Navigators are known widely known for. Well, um, because we like to go look at it, not because we lead a wildlife. So today's podcast is uh, being done in a very echoey hotel room. As I said, we are on a bluff overlooking the Pacific Ocean in uh, the, I guess, the west coast of Costa Rica. The Pacific side. Pacific coast. We have been on our tour for something over a week, and we are uh, traveling to all of the national parks. No, we're not. Costa Rica, little Costa Rica. But we size, try, come on. The size of West Virginia, they tell us, has 58 national parks. Oh, my so God. There are only 67 for, or 63 in the United States. When we signed up for this oh tour, my. I thought, oh, we'll do a we good job with this go. country at least. But we're not. But we certainly are enjoying what we are getting to. Costa Rica is a country that I admire for many reasons. First of all, politically, it is so much yes. more stable and well-organized than any of its neighbors. And is able to and deal, even its neighbor to the north, <laughs> and is able to deal with some of its neighbors, who would just as soon live here in a much better way than we have been able to manage with all the refugees coming north. Uh, they also have done very well with managing COVID. Every time we go anywhere, there is a fountain of water there with soap and hand towels. No, no, a, a basin and with running water. water. You go into the grocery store. Now, who has ever seen this in the United States? You go into the grocery store, and there's a hand-washing station, and people are actually washing their hands to customers before they go into the store. Unbelievable. It, Restaurants. It does slow things hotels. down. It does slow things down a bit when you're traveling with a group of 12, as we are, uh, because we are on an overseas adventure travel tour. But the Costa Ricans tell us that they like the end result of this and are thinking that they might just keep it going even after COVID has dwindled down because it has cut uh, so much uh, illness of, of other sorts down when people's hands are clean. It makes sense. They're also doing a pretty good job of wearing masks everywhere without a lot of flack to we anybody. We have been very impressed with that. And, um, Public transportation, their everybody's vaccination wearing masks. rate is somewhat higher than our own. So even though people are still very worried about traveling, and we certainly thought about worrying about it too, um, we feel very safe here. And we were very surprised that just before we left, the CDC put Costa Rica on a level four warning as a place not to travel to. And I think it's probably safer than 
than being at home? It's certainly, we see a lot more masks and yes. this washing, hand washing thing. Yeah. I've had I've had more sanitizer and hand washing done on my body than I have in probably for all of COVID. And one day when we were um, beginning a day of driving, our bus driver pulled to the side of the road because he noticed a kiosk, oh, and yes. he, it was about time yes. for him to get his third booster shot for his COVID. booster shot, yeah. And he jumped out, out of the bus and walked over there, and the whole operation took about... 10 minutes at the most. He didn't have to stand in line. He brought back his card, card and showed it, it to us. Stamp the third, for the Pfizer stamp. Third uh, shot on it. Uh, they made it so quick and easy. They said that they have put all their clinics out into the hinterlands, which is where many of the people live, so that they don't have to come to town to take care of that. And it couldn't have been quicker and easier. We really admire them for their rational approach to things. <laughs> Overall, Costa Rica is a great place to live, and we can understand why a lot of expats uh, actually visit here frequently or live here because uh, the living is cheap and the organization, the government, is democratic and, and very enlightened and has done a great job, at least from the tourist point of view. And so we can recommend it. But, but when I think about living here, it would be nice if I spoke a little more Spanish. Certainly uh, yes. tourist people are well acquainted with English, but there's a lot of Spanish rolling around us all the time that we don't quite know what it's about, and I wish I did. Yeah, but, I mean, that's <laughs> we don't do any better in the United States, so I don't consider that to be a major problem. No, but I'm thinking about... Yeah, well, if you were being... Yeah, yeah if you're going to live here, you would probably have to learn pretty much Spanish because yeah. that's the language that they speak, that's and it's language. common. But we haven't really had any trouble. But, of course, we have a guide who takes care of all the nitty-gritty details, so that's that's. We just nice. have to show up on time. That's yep. it. We've been going to the soda. What is a soda? A soda is a diner. And they're, and they're all over. Yeah. So we've been eating at the soda. And one of the very interesting things to me on this trip in particular is, is that we have had to use almost no cash. Yeah. Even though we're in kind of the hinterlands at times, credit cards are readily accepted. Every grocery store we've been in, if every you, drug store. If you want to use a paper store. dollar, that would be readily accepted too. But they give yeah, you the change in yeah. their currency. The and you probably are ripped off a bit when that happens. But the credit card being so readily accepted. I mean, even for small purchases, I'm not sure whether this is worldwide or just here, but you can use a credit card for virtually anything. I bought a well, we bought a toothbrush and a few other and minor a th- set of batteries, set of batteries and a Coke or something, and that they the grocery store happily took our debit card. And the good thing, of course, is is that it worked. And the other cool thing about this whole process is is that. In the past, you've always had to uh, notify your credit card company that you're traveling. I tried to do that, and with our we bring along three or four credit cards, so I tried to do that and. None of them wanted to know. And all three of them have worked. Continued to work. Continued. Even if you use them. I have not gotten any messages. And so Citibank and Chase and and Schwab have done a good job. Whatever they've done, their security checking has been uh, upgraded so that you no longer have to let them know that you're traveling. I would try to charge something, it would be denied, and then I would get a note that says, somebody tried to charge your card while you were in blah, blah, blah. And I said, I mean, even in the United States, even Mm -hmm. if we weren't at home, and they would say, is this a valid charge? And I would say, yes, it's a valid charge. And, of course, you don't want to go into a grocery store or a drugstore. You don't want to go into any place and have your card denied just because you're traveling. So... This has been a good thing. Um, there is a fair amount of wind <laughs> right now, so if you hear some clattering in the background, it's, we're doing uh, the best we're, we we're can. Doing the best. This, this hotel room is unusual. It's a very nice room with a very nice view, uh, which of course you can see if you take a look at the RV Navigator episode two hundred three webpage. I will have a picture. Which will get finished someday. <laughs> Ah, yes, but you'll see a picture of this room with our fabulous patio and the view. But the room has no chairs and no air conditioning. Do we need air conditioning? Not right now. The weather has been very delightful, except when we were in the jungle on the coast uh, where we got... It was hot and humid. Hot and humid there, but not... I don't think it was as hot as the Amazon. 
you know, we were, we've been living in Florida, of course, and the temperature has been in the mid 80s there. And, you know, it's been it's been pretty warm and humid. And we thought uh, going down further and further south that it would be uh, another step in the humidity and heat levels. But it hasn't been. Uh, the nights in San Jose have been very cool and nice, even though our room there had air conditioning. But uh, during the day, it got maybe 80, and uh, the humidity was very reasonable. But our first adventure, leaving <laughs> leaving uh, San Jose, uh, which was our kind of central hub, is we headed down to Corcovado Cor- National Park. And we did that in a very small plane. It was a domestic flight, and we were only allowed to bring 30 30 pounds. pounds. So we had to bring two (laughs) sets of luggage on this trip because we had to leave the rest of our luggage behind at the hotel in San Jose, which we were going to return to. These little planes are... And we really had, something. We had no plane tickets. We had no guide. Uh, um, our guide said, well, we'll just drop you off at the domestic terminal, and you'll walk in, and you'll see what you need to do. Because there's only one gate. And, and there, was all, there were only three airlines, and he told us the name of ours, which we had never heard of before. So we checked in at Sansa. Uh, they had our names on a list, and that was all that we needed, and away we went. Uh, the flight from... Um, San Jose in the center of the country to Corcovado, which is on the Pacific coast on the south <laughs> edge of, of Costa Rica, was spectacular. First, we flew over rolling mountains, some agricultural fields. You could see the pineapples and the pine palm trees. And then when we hit the coast, we turned south and flew over that beautiful blue water. It was a, a flight, flight seeing trip that I would have paid for even if I wasn't trying to go somewhere else. So this resort was really uh, in the boonies and we uh, had to kind of fly in and of course the airfield was a, mm, would not be considered a nice paved road. <laughs> it was asphalt but it was not much of a road um, and that was where the plane landed, our single engine Cessna and Ken was almost the, the Co-pilot. <laughs> we were sitting right up front. Yeah. It's unusual when you're sitting there and you can see all the the activities that the pilots are doing. So and two cars showed up <laughs> to pick us up Jeez. from the airport. And then we forded we a couple of rivers. Our luggage to those cars. We carried luggage off the plane ourselves, no worrying about whether your suitcase had made it or not. As they drove toward the hotel, they forded some rivers, which they said sometimes are impassable, but we made it through that day. And then they stopped the drive on the beach, where we had to take off our shoes and socks oh, to get on a little boat. A wet landing here, to gang. Go the rest of the <laughs> well, to the hotel. It was an adventure. They did tell us about that in advance, but it was kind of it's like, hard to where when you get on the plane, be sure to wear your water shoes. <laughs> and when like, we left the hotel to come back, they said, well, when you're going to the airport, you might as well just start out barefooted because you're going to be wading through the water again. And we did. So we went for a five-minute boat ride to the resort that we were staying in, which was very nice and very nicely located and, you know, uh, had all the facilities. But it was kind of self-contained. We had all three meals there, and we did all of our touring from there. Which I gotta say, we're getting in shape here, gang. Are we? We walked twelve thousand steps. The, twelve thousand steps up there. the hills, down hills, over the hills, uh, down to the beach. But boy, have we taken the pictures? Have you taken the pictures? <laughs> You've taken a few. Well, so we're learning a lot about birding. Um, I don't know. Well. I think we should probably join the Audubon Society. We should. Just, just to be... Even though we're still... We use their Merlin app, and if you haven't used the Merlin app, it helps you identify birds, and you download a database for Most the area that you... in the world. We've used it before, but uh, here it's uh, extremely useful because how many there are? 430 different kinds of birds or something? Just in Costa Rica, yeah. I, I think the most spectacular ones were the macaws. hmm And to see everything wild. After you do this kind of travel, it's hard to go back to a zoo and enjoy it because there's nothing better than watching an animal living where he wants to live, how he wants to live. And the only problem is that you may not always be able to find him because he's in the jungle behind all these 
thick green leaves, and the foliage is spectacular here. Well, and with that said, where did I get some of my best pictures? <laughs> From the bird feeder outside the, the breakfast room at the hotel. <laughs> oh, I see. Is that illegal? They take bananas and stuff, and they stick them out for the birds to, and the birds come in in quantities. And I mean, at the bird feeder at home, you know, we get some sparrows and maybe a cardinal once in a while. But here you get, I mean, really spectacularly colored. So, so tell us some of the bird names you've learned. Not very many. These guides are unbelievable. They take you on a walk, and you'll be walking along as you would through the forest, and all of a sudden he stops. And they do a really cool thing because the guide carries a spotting scope with a with a tripod. They set it up, aim it at the bird, and so the six or eight people that are with him can see the the bird or the whatever it is. What, what, else, what else have we seen? Iguanas, monkeys. Kodamundi in that jungle, too. Yes, we saw Kodamundi there. And, of course, the thing that everybody wants to see. Aguti. Sloss. <laughs> Crocodiles, caiman. Sloss. Yes, everybody was very excited about the sloth. It's a thrill to see a sloth. <laughs> and so I'm and going then he to would go put his... very slow because the sloth doesn't move very much. You can sit and watch a sloth for 10 minutes and the sloth does not move or go anywhere or do anything. That's the name. Whereas the monkeys you are out there swinging around and you can't keep up with them. And our guy there put his iPhone on his uh, viewing scope and took pictures for us, which he shared with us uh, before we left, which are some of the best pictures I took, haha, well, yeah. because um, he really knew what he was doing and, and I did not. And I'm carrying an equivalent 800 millimeter lens and his is at least three power longer than mine. So his, nice, his were really nice and close up. So I guess uh, one of the things that I've got to talk about is should you carry just a spotting scope and your iPhone? iPhone. Because they make all sorts of... Um, As a burger. Yeah. Well, uh, well, just for doing telephoto pictures. They make all sorts of adapters that connect your iPhone to the eyepiece of the spotting scope. And these spotting scopes, although they are not cheap, uh, they have adapters, and so you could use it kind of for two purposes. Of course, his was nicely had a tripod, which is nice because if you got multiple people who want to see it, and he was doing it with multiple iPhones or phones, so that uh, you know it provided a nice stable sort of setting. But but as a individual, boy, did we get some nice pictures from his phone. I'm amazed. He would always take his pictures first, and then we could line up, and he would hold your camera up there and well, take yeah, pictures. Well, yeah, and that's the problem with the tripod. Sometimes by the time you've got yourself set up, those darn birds move. Well, I think, though, as an individual, you could just carry this and just have a mount for your for your phone mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and just aim it. And some of the birding walks we've taken in Florida, people have had that kind of a setup. Yeah, I've with, never seen with one. Scopes, yeah. They have had scopes, yeah. but they have and never seen. I haven't seen. Yes, but yes, or a monopod, but I haven't seen them connect up their camera and make this work. So that was pretty cool. So uh, we did these nice jungle walks and uh, boat tours and that sort of stuff from there. We spent about three days there uh, in the jungle, and then we came back to San Jose. Picked up the rest of our luggage. Picked up the rest of uh, put our luggage back together and uh, departed on the main body of our trip, which is kind of a circumnav... No, I want to say that. I don't want to say it's a circumnavigation of Costa Rica. It's a here it's, there it's a, in Costa Rica. It's highlights of Costa Rica. Actually, our tour company... Uh, Oat has two separate itineraries, which I don't think duplicate each other. No, ours no. is called National Parks. But even that's a bit of a misnomer because we've spent the last few days getting to meet local people <laughs> and immerse ourselves in their lives. We went to a school. We always have lunch with people who we cook with and eat local food in a local way. We went to the local market and bought the supplies for the, those meals, even though we didn't really know what we were buying. That's something that we very much appreciate about Oat because they always try to get you off the tourist track to really 
really learn about a country. And as she says, that's their specialty. They always do a home visit and a school visit because it's really hard to believe these rural school education settings that these kids go to school in. And the Grand Circle Foundation, which is part, uh, which is owner of Oat, takes some of the money from every participant and puts it back into the community. And we went to a school that Oat had donated $60,000 to. Which turns the school from a one-room school to a three-room school. Unbelievable. And this is not hype. This is not uh, something that you uh, see advertised. But there's a plaque on the wall of this new school room. <laughs> They started off. They started off as a one-room one room school, school and now they're a two-room. Three. Three. Well, I had the kitchen in the middle, and they had two bathrooms too. And they put in. Us. That's right. They have sparkling clean. They were nice, sparkling clean bathrooms. And we talked to the principal, and he told us how the the money was funneled to them. So there's a little bit of a. Well, I don't want to say PR, but their verification that our money is really being spent in a good way. And, of course, we've done this in Africa, and we've done this in India. On every trip that we've taken with us. They always do this, and they always support uh, schools in some way. But in this rural community, they had three teachers, and, you know, it's just having spent a long time in education. This is not the education that I know. God, I don't know how I, how they do it. And, of and course, because this school was in the middle of the jungle, the students there had only recently returned to school themselves because they couldn't come to school because of COVID, and they were given paper packets of homework to do at home under the supervision of their parents. And the school also sent home food for them because usually they ate the main meal right, of, right. of the day were, at the school. We were just so impressed with how well the school was managed, how well behaved the kids were, especially considering the fact that they hadn't been to school until very recently. And there were only 24 students. I mean, you know, they had a morning and afternoon session. They had two shifts. Or maybe yeah. they Maybe there was that was maybe the morning session and then we saw. an equal number in the afternoon. Uh, but it's it's brings you down to earth to see these things happening. Uh, and to realize that, you know, the rest of the world is not like it is in the United States. And we had lunch with some of their moms who told us the story of their life. This town was located on land that had been donated to them by the government about 30 years ago, kind of like homesteading. And they were given plots of land to work uh, and told they could not sell it to anyone else for 15 years. And then the government people left and they were on their own. And how hard they had to work and how much they had to learn about how to make a go of it in the jungle. I wondered what kind of skills they came with. They didn't talk like they knew much of anything about anything. But the town had come so far and they had accomplished so much and were very proud, rightly so. So $60,000 goes a long way. That's that's an unbelievably small amount of money to me uh, for them to be able to build double the size of their school and put in bathrooms and all sorts of other stuff. You just go kudos to a organization who puts the money where its mouth is. So that's kind of a plug, I guess, and we we, we enjoy that that aspect of it. Well, a simple tourist trip you can do on your own. You yeah, yeah. Organization. We could have looked up towns where we could have gone zip lining and hotels to stay at and, and done it ourselves, but this trip has a lot more... So the nice thing about O2 is is that uh, it's a small group travel, and we have 12 participants, nine women, (laughs) three older gentlemen. Well, that's pretty much how these trips are, I'm afraid to say. Generally outnumbered. So we are all... uh, Pretty seasoned travelers, these folks have been around, but it's nice to get on a bus with only 12 people. And, you know, we drive around and we don't uh, attract a lot of attention because there are a lot of other buses of this size. And when we get off to go to the bathroom or go to a restaurant or, you know, do almost anything, 12 people are easily absorbed by the local community. And we can go through the market, for instance, and which we did the other day. <laughs> Every town has a market. And Ken bought 
something exciting in this market. What did you buy? A SIM card. Oh, yes, that's right. <laughs> With the guy's help. With the guy's Well, yeah, well, I couldn't speak any Spanish. But, you know, you go into these places and you can not uh, inundate it. And, and it's a pleasurable experience for everybody. You know, the guy can show you some, some kind of interesting things about the market, some food pieces or <laughs> things you never <laughs> ever think about trying. Let's buy a bag full of uh, fish heads. <laughs> well, and, and part Ugh. of my shopping list for the community meal was what looked like a bag of brown sugar, but it was kind of an airsoft <laughs> to make a drink coffee. Yeah, yeah. Um, very sweet. Uh, but I would never have done that or tried that. And of course, these are all things that they build in that are, that are fun for us to try. Um, the twelve participants on the bus is nice, as I say. They put our luggage in the back. You know, we can have plenty of room to spread out <laughs> next to your wife. <laughs> and that that to us is the way to travel. You know, we get on and off the bus. You can talk with the guide because you know there aren't He's that right many there. people. He's right there, and you can talk with the driver and get to know these people. And the thing that's taking us the most time is the driver, every time we get back on the bus, he has to give us a, a squirt, squirt of, of disinfectant, of hand sanitizer. And in the morning, he takes our temperature. Right. Yee, gods. Yeah. How much longer is this going to go on? I don't know. That that's so. Are, are there things. other COVID things that we've noticed that we should mention? No. How about at the airport on our way here? Well, you just wear masks all the time. Yeah, well, yeah. the The airport was just completely masked um, on the plane, on yeah, the at the gate, at the, the in the waiting and area. Nobody made a fuss, even when we were still in the United States. Yeah. Everybody just did what needed to be done. And to get down here, it's a three-hour flight, from uh, nonstop from Orlando. The other people had to make a much more rigorous set of. One couple had to fly to three different planes, I think. Really? To get here? Yeah. I haven't talked to them about yeah, that. Ooh. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say is that when you travel to less developed parts of the world, which I consider Costa Rica to be, you always wonder about staying in touch with Wi-Fi. And the hotels that Ode has selected have all had reasonably good Wi-Fi. It's not like being at home, but you can do your email and upload a picture or two and stay in touch with people, get a text on your phone. Um, So that's worked very well as well. And, of course, the school that we visited did not have good Wi-Fi. No, <laughs> I don't think no. it was sad to see that they had a, two computers and uh, they were sometimes online and sometimes not. I tried to, to access their – I asked them about that and they said not today. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I guess – I think it comes in through cellular. In the right direction. Yeah. So I have uh, – I was planning on using my Google Fi, which, as you know, is my alternative travel SIM card that I have in my iPhone – because my iPhone has two capabilities for Wi-Fi or for cellular data. And so I decided, uh, though, as long as I was here, that I would abandon Google for the time being and go with something really inexpensive, and I would go with the local cell service because they sell SIM cards. And in the past when I've done SIM cards, I've gone into the store and I have just bought the SIM card. Or no, I've gone into the store and they've handled all of the, the technicalities. Um, I carry a SIM puller with me, which is no big deal. So putting the SIM in is not a big deal, but getting it activated is. Because <laughs> I went to the SIM to their website and they were only in Spanish. But something cool is, is that I used Google Translate <laughs> to translate the Spanish cellular service into English, which was a big help. So then we called and uh, talked to somebody about turning on myself, my data. So now I'm getting a gigabyte of data, which I have 15 days to use for $2.50. Wow, that's cheap. And that was activating the account and everything. Google Fi is nice if you're moving from country to country and you don't have time to get the local SIM. But we're over two weeks, almost three weeks here in Costa Rica. So I thought, well, I may as well just get the uh, the local SIM and uh, buy the data as I need it. And so I can recharge this for about the same amount of money, 250 a gig, and, uh, and continue to use it as long as I'm here in, in Costa Rica. So that is a good deal. 
which, you know, it's a strategy that you need to think about before you leave because you're going to want to have cell service. Of course, the Verizon plan, which we have, is $10 a day per phone. So if we make one call that costs you 10 bucks, if you make 50 calls that cost you 10 bucks, and you get 500 megabytes of service of data in 24 hours. So that's kind of a limitation. Of course, I would consider the Wi-Fi service that we've had to be barely serviceable. Um, well, I it's have been, lower expectations than you It seems like this day and age there should be better Wi-Fi, but it's available in a lot of places. And, and, and it's included and, and, in our hotel fee? Too. It's included in the fee, but sometimes you have to go else to the lobby or someplace in order to use it. But sometimes it's in the room, like right now. It's supposedly in the room. But we'll check that out later after we uh, finish we'll talking to our friends on the RV Navigator podcast, episode 203. And this is for March, March of 2022. We're looking forward to hearing from you. Uh, if you'd like to send us an email, we'd be glad to chat with you. Um, we are, might be a little bit slow at the moment due to the fact that we're on the road. But we will be back in Florida. early March, in Florida. March 8th. We return back to Florida, and, oh, we're getting our roof redone. Oh. Da, 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 da. That'll be an adventure. That'll be next, yes, next month will be much more RV-oriented. The motorhome roof. We were at the Tampa Super Show, and I've been thinking about our roof is, a, is going to be 11 years old, and it's a TPM or whatever that plastic is that goes on the roof. And although it has serviced us well, uh, I think that maybe it's about time to reservice, redo the roof. And, and we can a, never put our RV under roof because yeah, yeah, of how we travel and store things. So it gets weather beaten after all this time. Yeah. So in the next, uh, when we return back to Florida, we will, and next month you'll hear. <laughs> have pictures and probably in great detail hear about our adventures with well assuming we can get back to the United States <laughs> yeah. the, the only major COVID obstacle that remains is passing the test which many countries no longer require but our country still does Yes, and to if continue, we, don't pass, we can't come home. And to continue a travel just a bit uh, later on in April, we're going. We were planning on going to the Tulip Festival in Holland, but as we speak at this moment, uh, Putin and the gang are ganging up on the Ukraine. Very we made, sad. Very bad news. And our cruise goes uh, Lauderdale to Copenhagen, and then it goes to. The Baltics. But we're not on it then. We are not on it then, but they, they may, may change their mind. They may choose not to go to Copenhagen yeah. if they can't yeah. do the Baltic portion. So, ladies and gentlemen, world situations once again may impact our travel uh, adventures. But for the it's, time being, it's always something. It's mm -hmm. always something, exactly. Well, so we probably should talk a little bit about uh, RVing for this month. <laughs> Um, well, to continue on the technology front, um, as you probably remember, we have had a Mobley, an AT&T Mobley, which is a <laughs> which was originally designed to be used in cars to give cars uh, Wi-Fi connectivity, but because it was such an unsophisticated device. Many people found out that you could take it and use it outside of a car by buying a little 12-volt adapter. And we've had this for a long time. So that's a $20 a month plan from AT&T, which has been, well, grandfathered, I guess. The problem is, is is that it may be shut down because the devices do 3G. And if you haven't heard, uh, in the next, well, some of the carriers this month, some of the carriers as late as uh, Verizon is doing it in December, they're shutting down 3G. And so you're going to have to have LTE, uh, 4G or 5G on your phone. Uh, and for people, many or people... Or any other device that uses cell service. <laughs> so we were afraid that our Mobley would be shut down. And the word is, is that you could take the SIM out of the Mobley and put it into any other uh, hotspot device. And so w this month, uh, when I read that this was a possibility, I bought the latest and greatest AT&T hotspot, 
I took the SIM out, put it into the hotspot, and voila, we now have high-speed data on our new machine. It worked flawlessly, and in no I was time. really very nervous about it. I've heard a lot of people have talked about doing this, and they always said, well, AT&T, if they get tough and you're violating their rules of service and blah, 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 but many people have done it, and uh, it's worked for us. So, But the bottom line is, if you are thinking about getting a new phone and you have a 3G phone, you better do it pretty soon because it will be uh, obsolete very soon. And, of course, we are waiting and waiting for for SpaceX and Starlink as we go out to the <laughs> launch site every once in a while to, <gasps> to see the satellites being launched. And, of course, they had a huge disaster at the last launch because they launched the satellites. And then there was a solar, solar storm, solar storm, and it blew up the satellites. Oh, 40 of the, or 36, I don't know. A large number of the that payload was was destroyed. Destroyed. Anyway, we've been waiting and waiting for Starlink, but Starlink is uh, not really ready for prime time, or at least not for ready for, uh, for mobile users. For us. But, ladies and gentlemen, there have been numerous recent posts about people who are doing roaming. And Elon Musk, of course, has promised that there would be a mobile version of Starlink. <clears throat> right now, you have to have you have to locate yourself in a cell, and then there has to be a vacancy in that cell in order for you to be able to get service. That can be a real pain, especially if you move frequently. And if you can't get service in your cell, then you're you're out of luck completely. Or if they don't offer service in that cell. So, and these cells are about 15 miles across. So, it's a lot of people who boondock, you know, kind of wander around trying to find an empty cell. But there have been numerous uh, reports about people who have actually taken theirs. Here's a guy who I'm reading right now who's moved 100 kilometers away from his registered service address and still getting service. Wow. So, he's, so in a, he's in a different cell then. <laughs> and he's multiple cells away from his original. So he was just so, lucky that there was room for him to be there. No, I. Well, this is. There's been no announcement from Starlink about any of this, and it's not available to everybody. And everybody is speculating what is going on. Nobody has been able to move a hundred miles and still get service without changing their service address. That's not, that hasn't happened. But recently there have been many people who have moved in a big way, and they still have service. Well, that's only 60 miles. When I RV, to, I usually move more than 60 miles to my next location. Yes, but whether it's 100 kilometers or 500 kilometers doesn't seem to make any difference. Mm. We are allowed to roam. Uh, they have, apparently have given certain accounts where they're testing roaming. Well, the bottom, you know, I don't know how exactly how this service is going to work, but that's really good news for those of us who are kind of mobile. It would be very nice to have Starlink service wherever we go, and we'd be glad to pay a little bit more for it, but it's coming. And so I might have to actually get a Starlink just to try hmm. it out. Hmm. We're going to be so well-connected. <laughs> Spend half of our well, I mean, people are getting 150, 200 gigabit service, so it's really, it is really good. Oh, but then on another technology front, I was planning on buying lithium batteries for my golf cart. Timing is everything. But, ladies and gentlemen, they are in short supply. And we broke down on the golf course <laughs> and had to push the cart back to our campsite. It's bad news. But I think about a car, yes. you know, electric car. This yes. is a pretty much the same thing. We had to push uh, the last 100 yards. We had to push the golf cart back to our house uh, after doing just nine holes on the golf course. And we've never had trouble like that before. So uh, it was time. We to did get the nine holes, days. and uh, the battery just went slower and slower as we came close to our house. And oh boy, then we had to actually push it when that's kind of embarrassing. Well, not only embarrassing, but you think about, you know, if you're in a car and yeah. you ran out of juice yeah. like that, which could easily happen. So, so now I was the proud owners of a new set of old style batteries. <laughs> oh. 
I try to be. I try to be high tech. I, 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 I actually had the the batteries had been ordered. I paid for them, and they just couldn't get them to me in a reasonable amount of time. They, I called them up on the day they I was going to replace the batteries, and I said, you know, in a week, and they said, well, maybe, and so I decided to go with old style. I went down to Sam's and bought six golf cart batteries. 57 pounds each. <laughs> the old man took out the old ones, put in the new ones. And Very impressive display of strength, strength and ingenuity. 57. <laughs> and that's, I had to take them each out and put them in the car and yes. you know, take them back into Sam's because you have to get the battery. But, of course, they've gone up at Sam's, and so each battery uh, was over over $100. So I spent $700 on six golf cart batteries. Wish. But you Fortunately, spent, ours is only a 36-volt and not a 48-volt. And you so I, spent twice that on the lithiums. Oh, more than twice. Yeah. So, and these batteries will last us. As long as we want to use them. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> we might want to pay attention in the future. <laughs> So our buddy uh, Dave Marsh, um, who has been a friend for quite a while, has sent us some comments. You know, we mentioned last month that <laughs> Martha complained that the battery in it only lasted for an hour. <gasps> Heaven forbid. And uh, Dave is very familiar with GPSs and gave us a bunch of BS reasons about why <laughs> GPSs don't have longer life batteries. So I, t- I told him that I thought that uh, new GPSs should have longer life batteries, and he agrees, I think. He said that his new one has four-hour life. So, But he gave us a couple of other su- nice suggestions, too. I'm going to read you. I said, he says, uh, you know, we talked about the air tags. Our baggage here in uh, Costa Rica has air tags in it. I do a lot of volunteer disaster recovery work now in rural or overseas locations, and I found that the GEGO, G-E-E-G-O, and I haven't had time to do research on this, to work amazingly well at keeping track of luggage. It is legal because it shuts off during flight. Hmm. It was fun to see last year on a 54-hour four-flight journey to Mozambique the, quote, your luggage is now at the Heathrow Airport, the Johannesburg Airport, or near Country Road 27M in Mozambique, or wherever, making me less worried about not making the transfers. Or, if it had been lost, I would have been able to know where it was anywhere in the world, not needing to be near an iPhone. Very cool. But, of course, you're always near an iPhone. Well, I usually am, yes. In the U.S., in non-rural areas, though, AirTag is a great tool for sure. And with the updates about to hit iOS and macOS, they will be harder to misuse. So my caveats that I mentioned about uh, that you could track somebody without their knowledge, some did pay attention to it. So we need to check out what this Gigo yeah, is and maybe get cool. some more, deal, yeah. more uh, details about it for next month. So if, you are, if you've taken my suggestions to heart and gone out and buy your air tags, well, maybe there's another solution. <laughs> Or even a better one. We're always looking for good solutions, yeah. And his second comment is, there is no such thing as one best GPS unit for all use cases. So I usually have several things running on trips, and you do too. We yes, have I the do. Rand, we have the Garmin, Garmin and a paper map, and frequently Waze. I have a Garmin unit in my on my dash pad mount, which is nice for its big print and some info about upcoming exits and one of the and one of the routing alternatives and that's the thing that we like about them is, is that they have different routing alternatives for the different companies um it has some info about Hmm? I'm reading it. Maps, the maps in the Garmin are weak, though, and I'm a map guy, so I so on CarPlay, I run GAIA. Do you know what that is? Nope. Uh-huh. To see details like geographic names. I wish I could look it up here, but the Wi-Fi isn't good enough. Uh-huh. I'll run Google and Waze both on CarPlay sometimes, but in a city I unplug from CarPlay and run it on my phone. And he mentions that uh, these GPSs get majorly messed up in big cities because 
there's signals bouncing around and you, and, tall buildings. and you tall buildings yeah. and that sort of stuff. So thanks, Dave. Uh, we appreciate the feedback, and we will uh, follow up on some of these ideas that you've given us. But for our other listeners, maybe you have some ideas about this and tell us what you think about GPSs and the ones which work best for, for you. you. And is Waze viable? Do you use maps? Do you use... I think his uh, suggestion, the biggest thing I take away there is is that you need multiple sources uh, for your GPS. And I think that's the thing we found, too. The only, th- the only thing I don't like about multiple sources is when they all tell me something different. Yeah. <laughs> and then I have to decide which one to follow. Yeah. <laughs> that and, can and, be consternating. Yeah, and, and you know, you need to figure out which of the traffic systems are, are the best. And some of the, the Google systems are, are pretty good at that. Okay, so snap bags. Yes, you brought me some right before we left for this trip. Yes. Um, it's kind of an alternative to using plastic bags for storage. They roll up into like a big cigar and um, can be easily washed and sealed well. Uh, so, And they're plastic. No, they're rubber. So they um, well are good in an RV when you don't want things to break. And you can heat them, and you can freeze them. They're silicone. Yeah. Yes. But so the thing that really impressed me about these is, is the fact that they have a square top, mm-hmm. kind of like That's a standard. Because uh, even regular bags are hard to fill sometimes. Bags are very hard to fill. Because you can't hold them open. Yeah, you need three hands. These are like standard freezer containers that have a lid. Uh-huh. And so the snap business, it has a lid that goes over a square container. And you can you use them for, you can serve out of them. So they're not bags, which to me, even though they're called... Well, they're kind of bags. Well, they they're collapse. With firm, well, that's with but, firm tops. Well, with a with a top that is a wide opening top that you don't have to hold open, and it will just sit on the counter, and you can pour stuff into it. Another item that we that I thought was a kind of a cool item is the Travel Easy deck, deck. It is essentially a grid of plastic decks with holes in them that are raised by height adjustable legging system. There is a lot to say about these other than the fact that they are a good substitute for those rugs that are always horrible, a horrible mess when you roll them up and get dirt in your face. Mm. Since the easy travel deck sits above the ground, except the feet, of course, which are on the ground, you don't have this issue. It might be better for the campground because you're not killing their grass. Yeah. I think the, these are great, and you can make them into like a 12 by 9 inch space so that it would be completely clean. And because they have holes and stuff in them, the, the dirt that you might get on them, it's you can barbecue cool. out there. If it's wet on the ground, you're not going to get muddy. You're not going to get muddy. And we have a step that we step onto when we get out of the motorhome. Depending on how high it sits when we've parked it. Right. How, how high we have to level it, um, it can bring the front end up so that <laughs> the last step could be a killer. These plastic steps actually have enough height so that you could use one of these units as the, your final step on a on or put it right up against or your door. Or you can lock a bunch of them in together. They're like two feet by two feet, and you can lock a bunch of them in together, and you would then... Um, have a, a, a wider area to step into, or you could barbecue on it or something like, like that. Like so Legos. They're not cheap, but um, there are a number of advantages. I haven't had a, really a chance to. We haven't seen these anywhere, have we? Not seen no, them, I'd but like I saw them at a travel I show. looked at them online. Mm-hmm. And last for this month is five signs a diesel pusher motorhome is right for you. Diesel pusher motorhomes are some of the most popular RVs on the road today, and, and it's no wonder. These ultra oh, you are in an ultra-luxury Class A. Have an awful lot of head-turning features. Have you been toying with the idea of getting an, an RV and don't know which diesel pusher motorhome will be good for you or your, and your family? Here are five things that you should think about before you get one. No, there are five signs that show that you... We'll enjoy getting one. Do you like lots of space? Yes. We have four slides. Gives us lots of space. I don't like but, living in a shoebox. But fifth wheels give you a lot of space, too. too. But what the motorhome gives you is is uh, weight capacity. We have six tons of cargo capacity and in a huge basement. Stability. So if you want lots of space, and I'm talking about storage space, then you want to take a look at a motorhome. At a diesel motorhome. 
do you like luxury? There ain't nothing like a diesel motorhome for luxury in most cases, although you could buy low-end ones. Yeah, I was going to say, it depends how much you spend. They're almost all upscale in one way or another. Some are more upscale than others, and it's easy to spend over a million dollars, where I don't think you could spend on a fifth wheel, on a fifth wheel, anything near like that. Do you like a quiet, smooth air ride? That is that is that nice. The engine in the back, we can have concentrate on the GPS. Our podcast. And talking to one another. There's nothing like the big window to see out of. Uh, there's nothing like not having a hood in front of you so that you can see all the way down to the road right in front of you. And the big seat sitting up high so that you're over the traffic. Just all sorts of benefits there. Do you think I like motorhomes? I think you do. do. Diesel motorhomes? I think you do. I'm a real convert, I guess. <laughs> and I was skeptical. When you we were? had our fifth wheel, I was happy with our fifth wheel, yeah. as most of you know. But oof, there's just nothing like a big diesel motorhome. Number four, you want an RV motor that will last. Didn't they tell us we have like a million miles? Of the diesels are a million miles. Now, a lot of people will talk about expense. But let's take a look at something. Every truck on the road uses diesel, and they if they run. were if they were that expensive to fix and keep running, there would be no trucks on the road. They would all be gas because they're in business to make money, and they're going to make the most money they can. Why do they use diesel? Because it's a cost-effective. Where the diesel runs into problems is that it has a longer uh, service interval. So, yes... At 15,000, 20,000 miles when I get the oil change, it's going to cost $350 because it's got seven gallons of oil in it. That's going to happen. But I only have to have that done once a year. Whereas a gas motorhome, you're going to have to have it done every three, four months, depending on how much you drive it, of course. But, uh, you know, five, 6,000 miles is all you're going to be able to put on it. So you've got to add those things up. Also consider the fact that a diesel does not have an ignition system. Hello. That whole thing is just not going to happen. You don't have to worry about spark plugs. You don't have to worry about uh, distributors. You don't have to worry about uh, high voltage. It's all just gone. There's some things to consider if you are uh, thinking of a diesel. Do you plan to full-time in your rig? Full-timers definitely need a a Class A diesel. Full-timers, see, this is where I think no. I think full-timers... If you are traveling consistently, yeah. you know, every couple of weeks you move, then you need a, a, a motorhome. If, if you you're are using it like a mobile home where you just if park you're at parking for months at a time, then, a then I think a fifth wheel fine. probably makes a mm-hmm. difference. But then again, what's your daily driver going to be? A truck. And I think one of the number six down here is you can pull a toad. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really enjoy having just a regular car. That we that would we, like to have in and of itself. Yeah, that we can drive to the grocery store and just kind of mess around with. So we are strong believers in the diesel pusher, but we realize that RVers are a diverse group and can buy what they want and will continue to buy what they want. And what they can afford. And that, dear listener, is the philosophy for you on this podcast from Costa Rica. Can we go eat dinner now? We can go pretty soon, yes. We will be eating in the honor of our listeners. We will be traveling to report back the exciting adventure next month when we will be parked in a campground near them for parts of the month. Once again, yes. Yes. So after March 8th, we will be back in Florida, and we will uh, be able to answer emails and and chat with our friends in the RV world. So with with that said, we will turn it back to next month and hope that you enjoy your RV experiences. Because summer is coming and it's time for you to start thinking about hitting the road. And because we are in Costa Rica, I'm going to wish you Pura Vida, which is apparently something that you say all the time for any reason whatsoever. Should I say Feliz Navidad? No, you should not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the right season. So, Well, anyway, uh, adios. Adios.